You're listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Happy Halloween. Thank you for spending some time with us this noon hour. I don't know what you're going out as tonight, but perhaps Noah with an ark would be a good idea. The rain continues to come down. In just a moment, we are going to talk about what Quebec and Montreal has done and the fact that Quebecers can now no longer laugh at us for asking for the army to come in to clear the snow. You can't laugh anymore about this if you want to cancel Halloween because of rain, folks. Can't do it. Trick or treat. You know what I'm hoping for? I am hoping for only one trick-or-treater to knock on the door of this radio program, and that's Premier Doug Ford. I'm really hoping that the Premier will call in to this program again. And I sincerely mean that. But I wonder if he will, considering what happened last time. And there is news about this today, fresh news about this. This is just not self-serving, me playing this again. But it is important to listen to this again because we have fresh news about it. This is what happened on April 22nd of this year on this radio program All of a sudden, the producer says to me, we have somebody on the line. I think you want to take this call. I believe his name is Doug Ford. And I said, hello, Premier. Thanks for saying all the misleading misleading stuff. That that forced me to call because it was just, uh, I almost hit three telephone poles. (laughs) Mislead the public. But that's typical. That's typical, said the Premier. That was his opening. Thanks for saying all of those misleading things. And then we had a conversation about a number of different things. At one point, he reiterated the fact that the Liberals had left the government, had left the province with a $15 billion deficit. Of course, we all know that that turned out not to be true. And then the conversation turned to legal aid and cuts that the government was bringing in, funding changes, as the Premier liked to point out, to legal aid. And that is when the Premier, at the end of a 12-minute phone call, said this. Legal Aid CEO is saying that you can only use federal funding to cover new immigration and refugee services this year. If anyone needs support uh, on legal aid, feel free to call my office. You will, I will guarantee you that you will have legal aid. And that guarantee continues to make news because Ottawa lawyer Michael Spratt has now obtained documents through a Freedom of Information request and posted them to his blog this week. This reporting by the CBC this morning, and the documents show how senior officials in the Ford government struggled to deal with the fallout of that off-the-cuff guarantee made right here on this radio program. This, after the budget slashed funding to Legal Aid Ontario by $133 million. The documents reveal that people who actually contacted Ford and his office about their legal aid problems, because people took the premier up on this, and they called his office, they were shuffled off to the attorney general. Now that is scary. That phone call and what Ford said on this program came up again today in the House. Here is MPP Gurton Singh, who is brother of the federal NDP leader Jugmeet Singh, asking a pointed question about the guarantee. What did you mean when you said to Ontarians, quote, I guarantee that you will have legal aid? And at that point, the Premier says, Attorney General? 
and the Attorney General stands up with a talking point. So that's how they continue to handle this. Just a little bit of drama on this Halloween. Oh, someone's at the door. Who's here? I want to wish everyone a happy and healthy Halloween. Have fun and be safe out there. (laughs) Oh, Premier, thank you so much. Premier Doug Ford wishing all the little trick-or-treaters a happy, happy day, a happy night, and safe. Let's be safe out there. Now, listen, do you remember this gem from last year at Queen's Park? I want to play this for you. I think this was... Could, there are so many points over the last year for the Ford government that are embarrassing. There, there are a number of them. I think that this one is the absolute worst. This is MPP Sam Oosterhoff in the house with a little rhyming ditty complaining about the federal carbon tax. Thank you, Speaker. Uh, This is to be uh, done to the tune of Monster Mash. In the corner office, we heard Kathleen say, we need more money, let's make them pay. Glenn said, there's no problem, there's a law we can pass. We'll drive up the price on a tank of gas. They did the tax. They did the carbon tax. Oh, dear Lord. They wanted all of your cash. They did the tax. Dusty, how long does this go for? Got about another minute of this. Carbon tax. Should we play it all? Just because it's Halloween. Oh my God. No, kill it. (laughs) That is MPP Sam Oosterhoff one year ago in the house with a little rhyming ditty about the carbon tax. When you're in government, don't try and rhyme. That's, I think that that's a takeaway right there. That right there is reason enough, I think, to cancel Halloween. Montreal, Quebec, La Belle Provence, what's going on over there? Montreal Mayor Valerie Plant via Twitter yesterday, quote, weather advisory. I invite little and big Montrealers to have Halloween on Friday because of the rain and strong winds announced tomorrow, unquote. And suddenly... The nation went wild. Montreal has canceled Halloween. <laughs> I mean, this is this is kind of what happens in this business. Is I don't I don't see canceled Halloween anywhere in there. But nevertheless, we've just all run with it. Montreal's canceled Halloween. Saint Julie, the mayor there in Quebec, put out this statement: "Quote, taking into account the safety and comfort." Of children and adolescents who would be in the streets to collect candy, we have decided to take the exceptional step of postponing Halloween until Friday, she said in the statement on the city's website. So they're at least in in that city. They have actually said, we are going to postpone. Not cancel, we postpone. Here, of course, in Toronto, the mayor has been asked all about this. We're not postponing it. Halloween is Halloween. When I was a kid, we walked for miles and miles in our bare feet up streets through the snow to get rock-hard candy. And it was character building. Someone out there is saying, that's what you're thinking. People are out there thinking that right now. Yeah. Later on in the program, we are going to ask you, what is the best candy to get at the door? 
because this relates back to being a little younger. My generation, you know, you'd go and you'd, you'd, we didn't have the little mini, you know, candy bars. That was not a thing at that time in the 50s when I was a youngster. I I'm not that old. But seriously, you would go and you would remember you'd come home and the majority of your bag would either be rockets or those hard taffy candies that would pull the like fillings right out of your molars. And you'd you'd have like one of them and you'd think, well, that's I'm gonna throw all the rest of these out. This I only need one a year because it's gonna stick in my dental work for another twelve months. have any stash. They did the carbon tax. Oh, that is so painful. Oh, it's so good I had to play it again. That is from one year ago in the Ontario legislature. MPP Sam Oosterhoff with a little rhyming ditty set to Monster Mash to complain about the federal carbon tax, which despite the fact that the Liberals won the election, and even though Doug Ford said that the federal election would determine whether or not Ontario continued to fight against a federal carbon tax that continues to wind its way through the courts. And, of course, there are stickers. There are still stickers to be found at gas pumps across this country. Now, you want to talk about scary. Scary is going to be the fact that at 2 a.m. on Sunday, 2 a.m. Sunday morning, clocks go back one hour. It's daylight saving time. It's been used in this country for over a century, despite complaints that it's simply inconvenient and potentially dangerous. There are also contradictory claims about whether or not it actually helps save energy, because that's how we got into this mess. The practice was widely adopted in Europe and North America during the First World War as a way to save fuel. Modern critics argue it doesn't do that anymore because most power grids have become more efficient since the 1910s. That's a long way in the past, folks. The B.C. government is going to introduce a bill today aimed at eventually making daylight saving time permanent across the province, ending the twice-yearly change to and from standard time. The government has confirmed it will introduce what is called the Interpretation Amendment Act, which will pave the way for this move. The bill will remove an existing law about the twice-yearly clock changes in British Columbia. Washington State, Oregon, and California are all still awaiting congressional approval, and U.S. legislators have indicated that could take time. So in other words, B.C. may be out of step with all of its neighbors. Simi Sarah is a radio host on CKNW in British Columbia, former colleague of mine, good friend. Simi, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me. Great to have you on. What do you think and what do British Columbians think about eliminating daylight saving time? Well, I don't think there's any doubt about what British Columbians think, Alan. The story is so interesting because it was really not on the government's radar at all when they first came to power and formed government two years ago. But it came up in a in a scrum with that Premier John Horgan at the time, and he kind of dismissed it and said, yeah, you know, I, I don't really have any thoughts on this. I'm not really interested. But he said when that happened, he was inundated with emails and letters from people complaining about the time change. And so at that point, they announced a public consultation. 
that public consultation got more responses than any public consultation that's been done in the history of British Columbia, 223,000 responses. And it was 93% in favor of doing away with this time change. You mentioned the legislation that they're going to be introducing today. It doesn't make the daylight saving time issue a de facto thing that's happening. What it does is it, int- it introduces the mechanism that will allow them to do this. Preferably, BC would still like to do this with Washington, Oregon, and California, but this does a lot- allows them to do it if they want to on their own. Okay, so that doesn't mean, because I've seen a number of reports saying, okay, first of all, it doesn't mean that British Columbians don't have to change their clocks this weekend. No, uh, no, we're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that there, it, even it doesn't mean next year or even we don't have a timeline at all yet. Right. The earliest could be 2020 if we do decide to do this. Uh, we could do it alone. I mean, if Saskatchewan does this, right, they don't have uh, the, the time change. And so they've been doing this for a long time. And I'm sure people in Saskatchewan are wondering, what's the big deal? What, who cares if BC does this? Uh, people here have spoken quite definitively. California seemed to be on board until very recently. But the issue has come up about, do you stay on daylight saving time or do you stay on standard time? Right. Uh, I myself have a preference for staying on standard time, but the public consultation that the government did didn't give us that option. It gave us the option of staying on daylight saving time. That's the one that I guess people overwhelmingly voted for. In terms of this province, in most of this province, daylight saving time is observed, but in the north, in places like Pickle Lake and Atacokan, in northern Ontario, they're on Eastern Standard Time. Back in April of this year, in this province, Simi, a Liberal MPP introduced a private member's bill that wanted the province to move clocks forward in March of 2020 and then stay with that time, meaning that right. Ontario would be permanently on daylight saving time. But that particular MPP uh, quit and is now a federal MPP. She was elected in Orleans in the most recent election. So I don't think that's going anywhere here. I don't think Ontario is on board with doing this. And when asked about it, you know, generally the the response from the Ontario government is we have more important things to do. Obviously, you, you don't have more important things to do in British Columbia? No, we do. And I think that's almost exactly what the premier said when he was first asked about this, was it was kind of like, this isn't on my radar. We got a lot of other stuff to do. He was definitively had his mind changed by the public on that when people said, no, this we would actually like you to do this. Is this so, a populist move, though, by, by the premier? Oh, you know, it's like this is an easy win so. for me. Very much so. I mean, I think that's obviously what he saw. And he even said that yesterday in his remarks on this, too, is that this was the thing. This is the number one issue that he gets the most emails, letters, comments on. It surprised him. He didn't expect it. uh, But he said people feel so passionately about this. They kind of felt like at this point they had no choice but to listen to people and just do this. And what do you hear from your callers in British Columbia? Oh, you know, (laughs) I, I think you should do this, too. Every time... We open the phones on this issue or, you know, we take emails or calls or whatever the case is. People have thoughts. Overwhelmingly, people have thoughts about this issue. Some of them may say, stay on standard time, but overwhelmingly, they're like, yes, just stay on daylight saving time. I'm tired of this time change. Why do we keep doing this? Uh, People just want it's over and done with. It's like a relic of 100 years ago, as you mentioned, of an era that no longer exists. And they say, let's just be do away with it and not do this time change anymore. Sammy Sarah he is a host at CKNW in British Columbia and joined me on the line. Thanks for being on my program, Simi. No problem. <laughs> uh, thanks so much. It's, it's always great to be able to be on Simi's program, and then I say, well, you know what? Quid pro quo. you got to be on mine. Well,
if you lose an hour, and we are going to lose an hour of sleep on the weekend, and going into the next week, you think to yourself, I am mighty tired. You know what I could use is a little bit of a nap. Quick nap would be good, but I work in an office, in a cubicle, in a veal fattening pen. No place to nap here. Well, our next guest has got you covered. Mezabin Rahman has opened a napping studio. It's called Nap It Up. And for 10 bucks, you can sleep for up to 25 minutes. Then the price increases by 10 bucks for every extra 30 minutes. She joins me on the line. Hello. Hi. So are people actually doing this? They're shelling out cash to come sleep in a little clinic? Yes, uh, some people have. I opened uh, last uh, Monday, and until today, we did have a few, uh, uh, you know, guests coming over and sleeping, and they actually slept. Uh, most of them slept uh, an hour rather than twenty-five minutes, actually. All right, give me a sense of what kind of space you have and and where people are sleeping. What's it look like? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's a fifteen hundred square feet studio. So. Uh, um, it's a blue studio. We made it blue, a uh, very uh, soothing color for people to, you know, come in and feel comfortable. And it's 13 beds divided by curtains. And uh, we also have diffuser, a lavender diffuser that actually helps you to put sleep. Lavender. And Yes. Uh, and also air purifier. And uh, we have white noise machine for people who want, who likes the fan noise to sleep and to also block out the noise around, uh, you know, surrounding uh, uh, the, um, studio. All right, Ms. Bean, I, I have some concerns, and my new producer, who is joining me uh, on the air today for the first time, Sheba's with us. Sheba has some concerns, too. I'll ask you a couple of questions. Sure. We'll start with Sheba's concerns, because hers are different than mine, considering that you're sleeping in a room that's partitioned by curtains. Go, yeah. Sheba. Well, as a woman, I'm wondering what, I mean, in terms of safety, I don't know how safe I would feel with, you know, a 20 different beds in a room. I don't know if there's a serial killer in the bed next to mine. Um, no. Um, so the, I'm a woman myself, so I made sure that uh, women feel safe. So we have, uh, we divided by curtains, and I have, like, on the side, like, uh, if women are coming, so I would put them much more in the corner, and uh, people, like, uh, for men, for on the, on the other side. And also we are squirting them in and squirting them out. So every time somebody is walking in, we make sure that we are taking them to their bed, and then uh, when they're waking up, we are actually walking them out as well. So not everybody's like walking around uh, when uh, none of us are there attended. And also um, when everybody, like a lot of people are sleeping, uh, like our employees and my, I, I myself as well, we're in the studio um, and then we make sure that nobody's getting up their bed and just walking around when we unattended. We're speaking uh, with uh, Mezabin Rahman, who is the owner of Nap It Up, a new uh, place where you can actually go and pay to nap. And Sheba Siddiqui, who is my producer, does that answer your question? I think so. Here's my question for you, uh, Mezabin. I'm going to just be counting down the minutes. Basically, I'm just going to be in there thinking, I paid 10 bucks. How much time do I have left? Is there a big clock somewhere? Is someone going to jump in and, and scare me half to yeah. death at 25 minutes when my time's up? No, 
um, so the, so before you uh, go in, we have uh, people signing a waiver that um, says that if they're okay us just going and let's say whispering their name or just uh, uh, just uh, uh, like nudging them on their um, uh, you know uh, arm, um, because if the time is up, we cannot allow their cell phone uh, to uh, you know have an alarm on because it's going to wake other people up. But we will go and wake you up. And uh, um, at the same time, if you want to sleep longer, it's just not 25 minutes. You can sleep longer if you need to. And then um, afterwards, uh, you know, um, like, yeah, it's like, regard like as long as you need longer dab, you can sleep longer as well. If you, at that moment you say that, no, I want to sleep longer, we will let you sleep longer. Mezabine, one more pitch for you. Where are you located? How do people get in touch? Yeah, so we are at Young and Eglinton um, Center. So we are actually attached to the mall, um, and it's by the Bucker Two and the LCBO Liquor Store. Like, so when you go uh, across the uh, hallway, you will see us at the very end. Okay, can I bring a cocktail with me? Sorry, what? Can I bring a cocktail in? Can I get a? Can no, I go to the LCBO cannot. first? Uh, we make sure. No, no? Well, that would no, help me. Uh, no. Hang on. Um, I got to let you go. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, Thank you. uh, That's interesting. Two things I take away from that. One, I can't have a like a middle of the day nightcap before I have (laughs) before I have a nap there. And also, I think I would just go to have someone come in and whisper my name. I like that. I just pay for that. Welcome back to the program. In just a couple of moments, Catherine McDonald, the Global News Crime Specialist, is going to join me on the line to talk about a violent night in Toronto and what Toronto police are saying about all the recent gunplay. But I want to begin with Peter McKay, who says he is not organizing a leadership bid against Conservative leader Andrew Scheer. Now, McKay has issued that statement after he openly criticized Scheer's losing election bid. During a panel discussion yesterday in Washington, McKay said that the, quote, stinking albatross, unquote, of Scheer's social conservative values cost the conservatives the election. And he also offered this analogy, saying it was like having a breakaway on an open net and missing the net altogether. Here's more on what McKay is now saying. In a statement issued on Twitter overnight, Peter McKay says reports of him organizing a leadership team are false. McKay says he's repeatedly said he supports Scheer and notes that he worked very hard on his election campaign. McKay also says his recent comments were aimed at pointing out his party's shortcomings and suggesting improvements so the Conservatives can win the next election. Sure. Yeah, we all buy that. You know, the report that you were organizing a leadership bid in the middle of the election, even before the votes had been counted, and you had to say, no, no, I support. Sure, we believe all of that. And then immediately after the election, you say words like stinking albatross. Peter McKay's bid to be the next leader is full and truly joined. U.S. President Donald Trump says a military dog that captured worldwide attention will be at the White House next week. 
President Trump Wednesday night tweeted that the hero dog that took part in the operation to take out ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is coming to the White House. The president seemed to reveal the dog's name, writing that Conan will be leaving the Middle East for the White House next week. The head of U.S. Central Command, General Kenneth McKenzie, spoke about the dog at the Pentagon on Wednesday. This dog is a four-year veteran of the SOCOM canine program and, is, and has been a member of a approximately 50 combat missions. He was injured by exposed live electrical cables in the tunnel after Baghdadi detonated his vest beneath the compound. I will also note he has been returned to duty. Karen Travers, ABC News, the White House. It's all about the dog lately. And did you see this, what Trump posted on Wednesday? He tweeted, American hero with a photo of the dog and a picture. It was a photo of him putting the Congressional Medal of Honor on a dog. Except it was actually a real photo. It was a photo of President Donald Trump actually draping the Medal of Honor around the neck of a real person who he photoshopped out and replaced with a dog. That person, James McLaughlin, who is credited with saving the lives of 10 men in a brutal days-long battle in Vietnam. I'm sorry, you've been replaced by a dog. To our city where five teens have been shot in the West End. Global News has now obtained exclusive security footage linked to the shooting, and it is dramatic and violent and shocking. Three suspects can be seen in the stairwell, all of them with their hoods up. Two of them appear to be holding guns. As soon as the hallway door opens, they unload. They fire shot after shot. Several shell casings can be seen falling to the floor. Five people were shot in this incident. Two girls, one 16, one 17 years old, three boys between 16 and 18 years of age. Paramedics say their injuries range from serious to critical. However, they are all expected to survive. At this hour, police are searching for both suspects and weapons used. Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders says 235 people have been shot so far this year. And more gunshots rang out this morning just minutes away, just west of that scene. And that's where our crime specialist, Catherine McDonald, is today and joins me on the line. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Alan. In terms of gun violence, it is clear that this city has a huge and growing problem. Yeah, no doubt. And for people in this neighborhood in the west end of Toronto, they are not uh, immune to gun violence. However, Many people were awakened by the sounds of gunshots this morning. Um, I'm told they heard between five and ten shots, according to witnesses I've spoken to. Uh, Some of them were on their way to school with their children or had just taken their children to school. This was just before 9.30. Another man said he woke up, he heard uh, shots. He lives on the main floor. He came out to this parking lot where uh, the shooting happened between two high-rises just off Jane Street, and there he saw a woman screaming. He wondered if it was the victim's mother. Now, police tell us the man who was shot was a 29-year-old man. Um, He was rushed to hospital in serious condition via emergency run. Uh, And not only was he struck, but there were a number of uh, errant bullets that hit nearby uh, glass panes on units. Uh, An apartment uh, on the main floor was struck. And an apartment in the same building on the second floor was struck too. And there are, are evidence markers in this parking lot um, suggesting that this was uh, there were many shots fired here. Uh, Inspector Jim Gotell from Toronto Police came out and he said this is really concerning. Not only did it happen during the day, but in a very busy enclosed parking lot where people could have been walking and innocent people could have been struck. 
Catherine, I mentioned that number 235 people in this year have been shot in the city. You have been covering crime in the city for a long time. Anecdotally, have you ever seen this much gunplay? It seems like we're having a lot of gun violence. It's every day. Um, you know, this morning when I heard about this shooting, I was, I couldn't believe it. It was it was so early. We were in our meeting, and I, I was sort of said to my producer, said, this is unbelievable. Uh, you know, we need to send someone. We already had someone on the way. Um, but, you know, when you get out here and you talk to the people who are in the middle of these communities, they're terrified. Uh, they don't want to show their faces on camera. Because uh, in this case, there are two men who are who took off. Uh, at, they ran southbound from the scene, and there were two schools affected on Halloween. I, I, this morning, I was at my daughter's school. This was supposed to be a fun day. I can't even imagine if there had been a hold and secure at my child's school today. Uh, this this is just uh, beyond the pale. You know, thinking that at nine in the morning there are there there is gun violence happening, and and in a very populated area, I might add. It is absolutely terrifying and a big concern for this city. Catherine McDonald is Global's crime specialist, and you can see her story tonight on Global News at 5.30. Thank you so much for being on the program, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this noon hour. Are you hungry? Do you have a hankering for some candy, perhaps? Your call straight ahead about the best and the worst Halloween candies to either give out, to receive, or if you're like me, to pilfer from your kid's stash. Because that's how we roll when we get to be adults. They go to bed, and then you start digging in. No, you didn't have any Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. No, you didn't, you didn't get a single one. Nope. Nope, didn't get one. Speaking of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, where do they rank? We have new stats coming out from a couple of different sources about the very best Halloween candies. And I wonder if you agree with this. I'll just give you one to tee it up. The number one best Halloween candy, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. That is according to CandyStore.com. I wonder if you agree. What do you think the worst is? Well, that's coming right up just after we check in on how much you should let your kids eat once they come home with their stash. You know, they're five, six years old, they're so excited, and they got their big bag full of candy, and then they dump it out on the floor, and they separate it. And then what do you say? You say, pick one and go to bed. Or should you just let them go crazy? Andrea D'Ambroso is a Ontario dietitian who joins me on the line. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Alan. What do you think in terms of kids? How much candy should you let them have? So with can- with children and candy, it's really important for parents to not restrict their children for their candy consumption, but also create healthy boundaries so that kids can learn to become intuitive eaters, which means they're eating when they're hungry and they're stopping when they're full. Oh, okay. Hold on here because you just mm-hmm. said uh, don't restrict but then have boundaries. Those things seem at odds to me. Right, right. So with um, the Halloween scene, so we know that there's going to be lots of candy coming in, there's lots of excitement, and it's really an opportunity for building a happy food environment for our children and in not a stressful environment that feels like it's restrictive and potentially fear-inducing. So thinking of it more like building this, um, this environment for a child. 
So, is it a kind of a situation like, you know, like the old uh, how to make kids stop smoking where you make them smoke an entire carton <laughs> of cigarettes? So instead what you do is you say you sit down and you eat those Kit Kats, young man. You eat them all. Is that what no. we're doing? No. So it's certainly not like that. This is more a strategy that's based on research that finds that when children are restricted for highly palatable foods, so things like candy, for example, the child's desire actually increases for these foods and their consumption increases in the absence of hunger. So this basically means that if we restrict kids, kind of like with adults, we have the forbidden fruit. So as soon as we're told we can't have something, the desire for it naturally does increase. And the same thing happens with children. As soon as we start restricting, we're actually kind of creating more of that internal conflict and that desire increases. So when my son, who's 11, asks me before he goes to bed, like he does every night, if you can have an extra couple of scoops of ice cream, what was so just take it away from Halloween for a second. I should be saying yes yeah. to that. So with um, parental feeding strategies, it's important for the parents to set structure for the meals and the timing of these meals and treats and snacks. So in that case, what might be a solution would be we have three meals a day and we have a treat after dinner, for example. So in that context, it would just be um, we have our treat after we have dinner. So that ice cream, for example, might not be available before we go to bed. <laughs> I'm, I'm calling you tonight, by the way. I'm, I'm putting you on the line on speakerphone at about 1030 tonight when he's working his way through his stash. And what about the whole, you know, sugar rush that kids get tonight? How do you handle that? Because they often, like my son's old enough now, it's not that bad. But I remember when my kids were, you know, four, five, six, you, you would just see them start pinging off the walls. Right, right. So kids get very excited on Halloween, and it's a exciting time where they get to dress up, they get to have treats, they get to socialize with their friends. This often causes an increase in hyperactivity. It's debatable in research whether the candy itself causes an increase in energy. This actually might just be an association with the environment that's also very excitable, in which case what I would recommend is have time to bring the kids down, slow the pace, perhaps even like reading a book or talking and having a little um, chance to even reflect on the Halloween evening. And this can go beyond even the candy experience. We can talk about how they felt about their costume and what the weather was like. I think it's going to be pretty drizzly out there. So even just having real conversations with kids really helps to kind of ground them. Andrea, your favorite Halloween candy, what is it? Um, I would go with Crunch. Crunch. That would be your, I have that on the power rankings here. Where's our power rankings? Crunch, number 16, according to 538, who released a top 20. Crunch comes in at 16 on your list. Cool. All right. Thank you so much. Andrea D'Ambrosio is a nutritionist with some advice on what to do with the kids tonight. All right. Let's get to the calls, shall we? What do you think? Where is your favorite candy ranking in those power rankings of favorite, best, or worst? 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. I, I mentioned already that the peanut butter cup is number one on your list.
number one ranking in terms of the best and worst. A number of places put that on their list. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette put that on there. Also, uh, I just mentioned 538 has got that in on there as well. What else do we have? What is the worst candy of all time to get? Any guesses on that? Remember those hard ones, those hard caramel ones? We mentioned that early in the show, the ones that would actually take the fillings out of your face. Well, number one worst Halloween candy for 2019, candy corn. Candy corn is terrible. Nobody likes candy corn. If you're handing out candy corn tonight, you should, your house should probably be egged. Last year's number one for worst candy of all time, circus peanuts. Who gives out peanuts? Could you imagine giving out a bag of peanuts? Last year, my son, he got an entire mango. Somebody gave him a mango. I kid you not. And I said, I looked at it and I thought, man, those are like a buck fifty each. Let's go back to that house. See, we get some more fresh produce. <laughs> it makes me think, like, did they, did they just run out of candy and just go to the back? Here, here's a can of soup. Trick or treat. <laughs> All right. Here are our, our top 10 best candies to receive this Halloween. And I'm wondering if you agree with this. This is from CandyStore.com. Number 10, the Hershey Bar. I love a Hershey bar. Number nine, Skittles. Number eight on our te- 10 best Halloween candies to get, Sour Patch Kids. Number seven, Butterfinger. Number six, Nerds. Number five, M&M's. Number four, Kit Kat. I think that deserves to be higher. Number three, Twix. Number two, Snickers. And again, the number one desired Halloween candy is a Reese's peanut butter cup. Oh, yeah. Chris, on the line from Niagara, your favorite candy. Best or worst Halloween. Go. 1978. I'm eight years old. My group of friends, we go to the house. Four doors down from us, it's an old lady uh, with arthritic hands. And in her bag, she goes with her treats. And it was a handful of uh, buttered popcorn, each one of us. Oh, that is, that's she, gross. So, so hold on. So yeah. she's, got, she's got the, you know, the arth, God bless her, arthritic hands. <laughs> and, 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 and in goes, and the, you know, all of us doing the double take at each other. And then I'm a little afraid of my mother having to go home and me saying, but don't, don't, don't. Because my mom, I got in the carpets cleaned and they checked my candy, eh? And I had this massive handful of buttered popcorn all over this clean carpet from the woman, which uh, then had my mother and this woman probably go at it for about a year afterwards. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Chris. Happy Halloween to you. Happy halloween Thank you so much. And to all the little ghosts and goblins out there, be safe. And I hope for you that every home is a full-size chocolate bar.